What if this took place at like a La Quinta? <laughs> yeah, I'd, it's just the continental. He would have killed himself. He would have jumped off the roof for sure. He yeah. would have. He would have had the powdered eggs the first morning. Yeah. And been like, fuck. He, he would have had the hotel honey and just been like, nah. I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm gonna walk outside. They're gonna just shoot me. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast. It is episode 21. This episode, we are going over A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. I am Ryan and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other. Episode 21, the final episode of 2018 how are you feeling about this year in in retrospect this is kind of uh i mean we haven't done a full year's worth so maybe we'll get around to that on episode 26 or so but yeah this as 2018 draws to a close and we look forward to 2019 i can't help but have a soft spot in my heart for this episode because this is our first year we can never have another first year it's true yeah matter of fact i i was uh i was having a conversation with uh with a mutual friend of ours and uh we're you know i'm always trying to recruit people to to listen to the podcast and uh he had asked how many episodes we'd done, and I said, well, we're fixing to record 21. And he's like, you've read 21 books this year? And I was like, well, actually, I've done some reading on the side for my own stuff. So I've really read about 26, 27 books this year so far. Yeah. He was like, that is insane. And my overall impression is that when I think about it, it is a lot of reading, but I don't feel like I've been burdened by by doing this. At no, all. not at all. I mean, the I think that we've been very measured in our uh, in our choice of books, which has been certainly helpful in that in that yeah. department. But yeah, I mean, you know, coming into this, I think one of early on, maybe our first or second episode, I talked about. You know, I couldn't remember the last time I had read one or two fiction books in a year. You know, primarily my reading had been you know, centered around nonfiction, even then pretty sparingly. Yeah. Um, and which was the whole purpose behind getting into this in the first place. But yeah, I mean, 21, that's a lot, but it, it, it really doesn't feel like that much. This has felt like, honestly, like it's, it's kind of gone by pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, I can still remember a lot of little nuggets from our first few episodes that seem still pretty recent in my mind. So yep. 21 episodes in here's to at least another 21 more yes but that starts with this episode which of course is going to be a pretty standard episode uh long form fiction here so we're going to tell you a little bit about the author give you a brief summary then we're just going to jump into the book uh we have a few questions for ourselves we're not going to stress too much over themes and structure and all sorts of other you know literary boxes or anything that we have to get into we're just going to kind of talk it over and uh then at the end, of course, we're going to give you our patented three tier four if we're giving it away, five if we're, uh, you know, packaging it with an old fruitcake that maybe we got for Christmas, <laughs> six if uh, we've got a, an, a Capricorn or an Aquarius in our life that has a birthday coming up that we're just going to pawn it off on them as a re-gift. So I don't think we're going to come to that this episode, yeah. but yes, our patented uh, rating system. And then we'll tell you what we have coming in the new year in 2019. And so this is the part of the episode where I am obliged to say that if you haven't read the book, go read the book. Matter of fact, I would I would argue that you should do some light reading just generally about the Russian Revolution and the early years of Stalin uh, and maybe even watch Casablanca. I've never seen Casablanca. Have, have you? you never? I've never. OK, I, we'll have to watch it. I've seen yeah. it, but it's been it's been years yeah, when when you know there's a reference to it in the book, I was yeah. like, it, I realized like I know what it is and I I know who's in it, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. So well, there you go. Maybe do that and then read the book, uh, because that's how book clubs work. You read the book, then you come discuss or listen, and uh, that's what we're gonna do here today. So why don't we talk about Amor Tolls? Let's do it. The author. So he's he's written really two two books of of note. Uh, the first one being uh, Rules of Civility in 2011, uh, and then obviously this one, uh, A Gentleman in Moscow, in uh, 2016. He did have one in between um, that I can't recall now, and I should I should have remembered, but it wasn't uh, it didn't make it big like these two. These were both New York Times bestsellers. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen mm-hmm. being a, a much bigger book, um, you know, acclaimed a, a book than uh, than Rules of Civility. Um, he was born and raised in the Boston area. Uh, 
didn't at any point live in in Russia, uh, which I found a little bit surprising. Doesn't have any like Russian roots, as I understand it, um, but seem, seemingly did a lot of research and and uh, had did some narrative things that I think that sort of filled in some of those gaps. But uh, point is, he's a really smart guy. He got his undergrad from Yale and his uh, MA in English, I believe, from uh, from Stanford. So. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's he's just recently been uh, a writer, uh, like full time. He, he was in investment banking. Yeah, I uh, watched a, I watched an interview he did where he was talking about that, where he, had, you know, a good friend of his had, had an investment banking startup that he worked at for 20 years. Yeah. And all the while he was kind of writing along the way, but not really, you know, had the time to devote to that fully until Rules of Civility kind of hit it big and he could take time off to, to write this book. But I thought it was interesting that you said, you know, he's not he never really spent a lot of time in Russia or any of these other things is when I was watching this interview, the question had come up kind of like, well, you know, Rules of Civility takes place in like the 30s and yep. in New York. And then this book, you know, kind of takes place from 22 to, to 52. So, you know, it was just interesting that he was writing kind of of these eras and all this. And, you know, he was talking about how we have a most people have kind of a general idea of a lot of things in those those areas, but we don't necessarily have like a firsthand awareness of it or fondness of it. So he yeah. says that that sort of space allows him to be a lot more creative kind of with the narrative and things that are going on during that right. time period that he, you know, he wants to take readers kind of to that frontier of their knowledge yep. on the subject and then one step further. Right. And so like, I, I, I think that that's cool that that really kind of allows you to have that sort of walk that fine line of, Oh, did this happen? Or is this kind of embellishment or is this, you know, entirely right. a, a fabricated story? Is this all kind of part of, you know, what's going on with that? So. Yeah, and I actually I might have I I read the transcript of an interview and it, I think it w- might have been the same one or he gives substantially similar answers in interviews but probably uh, he was talking about um, how like the brass tags were um, or a thing that actually happened so yeah yeah the the communists actually tagged you know furniture and and you know inventoried them and all that but they didn't go through and like scrape the labels off of wine bottles that was something yeah. that he fabricated and you know but again it like not knowing uh very much about you know the russian revolution or the period thereafter it seemed completely believable um you know given the story so yeah i i'm uh anyway he's he seems for a uh for a guy that is sort of recently devoted to being a writer i mean to have two massive books like this um and to to be as good as he is um pretty impressive i I, just come out and say that no absolutely Um, do we have our summary? Of, we have of a, this book. a very brief summary of a gentleman in Moscow, which is the story of Count Alexander Rostov as he's sentenced to house arrest for the rest of his life in the Metropole Hotel for supposedly authoring a poem years prior that was uh, controversial to the revolutionary efforts. Concise. We, yeah, we follow along with the Count on his many exploits and people that he interacts with, and we get to see what becomes of the count at the end so you want to just start at the beginning with the thing that got him in trouble yeah the, the poem. poem so we we don't find out till a lot later that mikhail is mishka best friend, yeah or mishka i'm sorry uh well mikhail's his yeah name, but I, mishka's his you we, know friend name we do need to stick to like just common names because I, I did like the reference where uh you know like uh tolstoy and dostoyevsky use like and just Russian writers in general use multiple names for the same thing. And you, yeah. you kind of see that with the count and, and, uh, you know, different people call him different things, but sure. I, I made like a mental note before the episode. I need to just stick with like Mishka. I need to stick with the count or Alexander, yeah. like not, not be confusing. Um, then but head waiter, <laughs> Rostov. Yeah. 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 Uh, whatever of the Sasha. club. Yeah. yeah well, Sasha. Sasha. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, so we, we don't find out till much later that he takes, um, he takes credit for the, the poem that, you know, would have probably gotten his friend killed. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, he, he, he sort of absorbs this for, for his friend for a reason that's never quite like, like put out there. I mean, it, it seemed almost like, um, I don't want to say impulsive, but, um, like there was never a question about, you know, maybe we should just throw this away, you know, that it shouldn't be out there. You know, it's, it was just immediately 
Like, like I'll take the credit for it. But, and what but yeah, but happens. I think it makes sense when you look at like the stuff that happens later with Mishka when he's kind of in charge of transcribing these uh, Chekhov's, you know, yeah. letters or whatever. And, and, you know, they're asking him to remove all these references that could be seen as sort of detrimental to their cause or, you yep. know, cause offense to these people. And he's like just so upset about it because he's kind of this. I mean, earlier on when we meet Mishka and we're sort of like led to believe that kind of his new pursuit uh, towards the idea that maybe there's going to be this new, you know, age of enlightenment within Russia and within yeah. poetry. And he wanted to kind of be there to help with that and all that, that it doesn't surprise me that someone like that would be so committed to the idea of having this work of art or, you know, having this piece be, be made and, and, you know, whether or not it got him killed or not. And I think yeah. it was the count, you know, seeing that the only, means of protecting his friend was to put his own name on there because he right. would certainly suffer a less harsh penalty to that. And, and, you know, I, I kind of can understand that when you, when you look at what all kind of Mishka has done and you get that, that yeah. sort of idea. And I, that's why I think it was, it was really appropriate when they decided to let us know that, okay, this was really Mishka's poem that the, the count had sort of put his name on after we were given all this time to sort of see, you know, him sort of develop and then, have his his outburst over that and sent to Siberia and he comes yep. back and he's somewhat kind of a defeated but still oddly uh like driven man yeah. in the sense of going and kind of compiling his own work, you know, his own life's work now to his bread and salt, you know, collection of quotes and works and <laughs> yeah. everything like that. I will say, you know, it was weird reading this book of all people, you know, you do this a lot of times, like you're reading books and you're thinking about, you know, like, oh, and there's like character traits and all. I saw a lot of you and Mishka. Uh, oh, mostly, really? Mostly just because he's a poet and <laughs> and seemingly, you know, very, I don't know. I, I, I thought just that sort of the 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 purism of, of sort of his approach towards poetry and the art and having not taken offense to something that was seen as so egregious and yeah. seemingly being like so level-headed in one sense of not taking offense, but at the same time, you know, having that sort of outburst with his superior i was like that that could be something i could see ryan doing. yeah i i i think I, i've had outbursts like that in uh semi-professional settings not like work but sure. uh, college there, there's a specific incident oh. in, in, in an organization that we were involved in uh that i i, I recall quite well where sure. I, had, I had a similar sort of outburst of uh <sighs> Uh, righteousness, as yeah. it were, <laughs> to parties who may or may not be within the current vicinity of the room. But no, I thought it was interesting, and no, that was I. I hope you take that as a compliment. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I did see. I, I you know, it, it did make sense to me when they said that why it ended up getting published. Because yeah, it, it seems yeah. like the pragmatic thing to do would be like, well, let's not publish this because right. tensions are high. We don't want any issue to come from this. Right. Yeah. I, the, the thing I think that struck me weird about it wasn't so much, um, Mishka's like want to do it. Um, but the, the counts sort of lack of like calculus when it came to like, you know, his era. And, and so I, I guess what I thought, um, and, and I, th the, the book makes reference to it. Like, you know, it wasn't really apparent at that point in time, like what the consequences would exactly be. But it seemed like, you know, the count should have been a bit more in touch with the time and, and realized that, you know, it would put him in great, great peril. Yeah. And, you know, I don't. I mean, he's an idealistic guy, right? Especially when it comes to, to literature and and politics and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, maybe he had a little bit of, you know, that, um, sort of personal responsibility or, you know, feeling of, of, uh, you know, just the artistry of it that, that needed to be out there too. But it just, I, based on the rest of his behavior and how calculated and careful and, uh, it, it just seemed a, like a little bit out of character that he would do that. I was, I was a little bit surprised. Um, and then kind of not after, after a while, but, um, so yeah, he, he gets, gets stuck in the hotel because because of this did you notice the like the con the expansion and then contraction of time as as the book went on because it, this didn't strike me until very late in the book what was happening it yeah it did seem to kind of like ramp up and then slow down again like you know very early on in the book when he's first sort of in the hotel and, and kind of he's moved to his new room and he's sort of realizing it's fate and we're like you know we're it's 
minutes and hours at a time while he's reading and waiting for the clock to go have his appointments to go about and doing these things and it's you know day by day by day by day and then we start getting you know week jumps months years then we get like big jumps yep and then again towards the end as it kind of slows back down to that sort of pacing as he's plotting his plan for Sophia to escape and going about and stealing all the things that he needs for his own you know escape and yeah, I, I did think that that was interesting, that there wasn't really sort of a linear pace of time that, that yeah. we kind of had it all over the place. Well, so it turned out to be semi-linear in a way. So so basically the way that it worked is... Well, it, linear, it was on sorry, multiple, linear is not the right yeah. word, but just like a consistent pacing, I guess. So it it, it actually, it went, uh, started with, with, you know, day to day, and then it worked in multiples of two. So it went one day, two days, four days, a week, a, you know, a month, two months, four months, you know what, whatever, whatever. Um, all the way, and then, it, and then, when it reached the midpoint, then it started contracting by the same multiple of two, um, roughly. Yeah. Um, which I thought was, I thought was really interesting once I realized it, but it wasn't until until much later where I was like, hmm. So we didn't just like you know make this big time jump just to get to sort of the climax at the end. Yeah. Um, it was a sort of calculated narrative like decision, but. I, th- I thought that was that was really interesting and made me actually I st- I want to go back and reread this yeah, book having see, some additional context for a few yeah, things. I didn't yeah, I didn't notice the exact pacing of it, but you know, I, it was obvious that it was kind of the the book was speeding up with its time because I feel like after he meets Sophia, he kind of enters this period of, you know, it's, a lot of it is him caring for her and that's when time yeah. sort of stretched out because you know, for him it seemed like his frame of reference was less about at that point about like, all right, I got to get through this day, you know, of, of capture. And he talks about early on, you know, when they're toasting to his year, when I guess Mishka's there yeah, after he's been there a year and they're talking about, you know, he's talking about why captives or prisoners count the year or whether it's to commend themselves for making it through another year or so of just this, this hardship. And so we kind of go from this idea of like, he's just sort of trudging along and finding space. And then when Sophia's there, it seems like he's kind of found a purpose and, right. you know, in, in, I guess, raising a child kind of time goes by at a lot sort of quicker pace. You know, she's growing yeah. up, there's all these other things happening. It's less about sort of his day to day or, you know, what's going on between him and the Bishop. I mean, we do still see sort of interactions throughout that, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting, um, an interesting way of telling the story. And I think it was super effective in there not ever really being a period in this book where you kind of felt bogged down by like the minutia of what's going on. That, yeah. That's what was great. I think this book was very detailed in, in kind of like talking about the hotel and talking about the Count's exploits and introducing all these people and going about sort of this turmoil that's happening within Russia, albeit, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily firsthand, but we kind of get like glimpses of it through people that visit the hotel and, and through footnotes and other things like that. But yeah, we never really get this this like slowed down period, or at least I never felt there was ever a period where, you know, kind of got bogged down. I was like, all right, well, where's the next chapter? Yeah, like that. Like it was a constant pace for me as far as like my enjoyment level of reading, and I definitely think that that was very well executed, or at least thought out or planned in in the way that the time skips sort of happened. Yeah, i I had the a, a sort of similar thing, although i i I found that I was having to go back and like I'd, I'd want to like reread a section again yeah um just because I think the style in which you know he writes and or the the narrator spoke you sort of have to like dig through some things there's a lot of like foreshadowing and yeah. you know the the footnotes and, and things like that where you know sometimes I'd go back and you know I'd read a footnote then go jump back and read the the paragraphs forward and go okay now I've got a little little more context to you know, understand whatever's, whatever's going on. But this, this book for me was, um, was a bit slower than, than I expected it to, but it was, it was enjoyable. It wasn't, it wasn't like, um, it wasn't dull. It was slow, but it wasn't dull. Right. Right. It was, it was, um, somewhere like near like hundred years of solitude where, you know, like you, you kept going, uh, it was more enjoyable than that, but you know, you, you kind of had this like constant pace, but I never felt like I was making a lot of headway. Like when we read like Bluebird, Bluebird, um, I just like, I blew through that, that book. Do you think that maybe that's like, I, I don't know if maybe choices were made as far as like how the narrative was going to be told that kind of gave you that sort of sense of like day on day on day on like sort of at, at infinity because there's oh, no real, I mean, there's no real... It's a you good, know, good question. When you got into this book, and, and you know, I didn't realize it till later, and you know, you really don't get sort of a 
traditional like conflict resol- like conflict plan resolution yeah. you know type setup to a story that maybe th- this doesn't really have like that three act approach until right. the very end where yeah. we get kind yep. of like the setup of the problem and and this opportunity and you get the count's plans for getting Sophia out and his own plans for trying to escape and you see all that towards the end of the book that's where you kind of would see a normal I think narrative story take place but that's really up until that point I think that the narrative is really just like we are there's no kind of traditional there's no kind of traditional narrative it's really just yeah. kind of a character study of the count in his circumstances in his situation which i think is was fine because yeah. the count as a character was incredibly well written and and incredibly likable and just there's so much of just everything that that sort of he does on a day-to-day basis or that he's you know his interactions with people his thoughts yeah. just sort of his musings on his situation and his past and you know, everyone that he's been involved with. There's so much there that is just enjoyable to read about a character that you you kind of forgot that it wasn't necessarily a story so much at the early goings on about him, you know, struggling against his, you know, captivity or finding a way to persevere. I mean, yeah. there's that, that underlying theme there is, you know, kind of the idea of mastering your circumstances so they don't master you. And we see that a lot and it comes up a lot and we see sort of the ebb and flow of that with kind of the highlight of that being when he decides he wants to kill himself, but yeah, he's pulled back by sort of that memory of his past with the honey and, yep. and just everything like that. So yeah, I mean, I think it was a slow book, but I don't think for any, in, in any way it was a dull book. I, I was thoroughly enjoying sort of getting into the count's head and getting into his feelings and his life and his stories and thoughts and all of that for the first, you know, two thirds of this book before we kind of get to that, the where we get to kind of the height of his conflict with the bishop and the bishop trying to kind yeah. of like sabotage his efforts with Sophie and and you know his decision to to get her out. You know, one thing that I, I did find a little bit interesting about the count is that um the the bits and pieces that we get from him um up until the end where he's you know stealing stealing things yeah. to to make his escape. Um He's sort of a character that that doesn't exhibit um, any f- like understanding of his his own like flaws as a person, yeah. Um, and like the whole setup with like his conflict with the bishop that starts um, in the uh, damn it, what's the what's the other uh, restaurant? Not the Boyarski, the whatever the other one is. Oh, um, why can't I think of that right now? I can't either. But you know when he's essentially rude you know, to, to the Bishop and, uh, and sets that whole sort of conflict in motion. He seems to be a bit, um, impervious to like his own aloofness and, ah, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I found that a little bit, um, a little bit irritating because, you know, you, you want characters sometimes to realize like, their their circumstances right yeah. and you're never really presented with um a, a time where the count is doing something bad right like even when he's stealing into people's bedrooms it only seems logical right yeah it, i mean it's like he's he's been trapped here and and you know he's got to make sure Sophia's safe and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know just i think the narrative style and, and the closeness to the count um I would be interested to to have seen somebody else's perspective. Like, yeah. you know, the the bishop hates him, right? So, like, sure. what what was what was the bishop's perspective of this guy? He's just a highfalutin guy that's you know that's locked up in a in a classy motel. Now he's the head waiter of a restaurant. Like, how is that justice? You know, I, you could you could see the count through a few different lenses. You know, just in in my mind's eye and. Uh, so I, I thought that was that was interesting. Not not that I did not love you know the the character by any means, but uh, he was absent of conflict. Yeah, I mean we we really were only privileged to kind of like his side of things and his sort of view on things, and it does leave you kind of like you know with that sense of oh well he never really. I don't know. He 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 was kind of like blissfully ignorant of of maybe the effect he had on others because he was kind of more concerned about seemingly well you know until Sophia's in his life he's more concerned about kind of well you know the 
the general ideas of of gentlemanly behavior or you know uh what you know what a good waiter should be or, yeah. or what you know these ideas of being an aristocrat you know what they've conferred to him as far as politeness and and of those things um the really big thing that popped out to me kind of not so much as a theme but just kind of as like this little thing that's sort of injected in a lot of the encounters that he has especially with uh, Mishka mm-hmm. and then somewhat with Osip whenever he's meeting with him and, and sort of trying to work with him and teach him I guess more familiarity with the western world and and you get a lot of that interaction between him and Osip and even some you know kind of with uh, Anna whenever she has her little downfall via yeah you know sort of how movies are or or to be taken in or or what is to be elevated within sort of the Soviet you know, sphere of arts now. And yep. you see it with poetry and you see it with all this, you know, even with music, with, with Sophia, is that arts yep. is a really big central theme, or at least kind of the fine arts is like a really big central theme in there and, and how sort of the Soviet, the Soviet sort of view of it has sort of co-opted that in kind of reflection towards the the American one. But I, I did think it was interesting when he's talking to Osip and talking about American cinema and how it was kind of like used seemingly, it looked as though it was sort of a tool of like mm-hmm. placation yeah. for the, for the lower classes, which is why, you know, they never revolted during the great depression because they had <laughs> movies that they could, you know, they could right. consume all this art and, you know, the Soviets uh, or, you know, the Russians, they would, everything was kind of a vehicle for advancing sort of the, the government's, the government's role. And then, you know, he, when he talks to Osip and when he talks to, or maybe not, maybe it wasn't Osip. Uh, I know he talked to Mishka about it. it might have been Richard um, when he was talking about, you know, Russia's predilection towards sort of destroying their own creations. Yeah. As though it's like, you know, they have this own power or that it's, you know, it's maybe they're just sort of destined to this brutishness about them. Like, what did you, what did you think about that? Because that was, that was a big thing for me in reading this. Cause I love, you know, I love a lot of the, the elements of, of fine arts, be it, you know, cinema movie or cinema, music, uh, art in of itself, and obviously literature and writing. And so I thought that was an interesting sort of thread throughout the entirety of this book. Yeah. I thought that that sort of like breakdown he had, um, because of, because of that conversation with, with, uh, Mishka was, was, really interesting and i i think it's so it's so interesting when you when you think about just censorship of of any anything right and i mean that's ultimately what what you're talking about whether it's the the letters of Chekhov or yeah. you know uh the Nazis so- collecting art and yeah. and destroying them, books and then making sofio go yeah. to the red october orchestra and- yeah exactly and so i mean <sighs> It's it's in some ways it's sort of like a you know the chicken and the egg kind of thing right because in a lot of ways art will always beget art yeah and you know whether or not you try to expunge something from you know whether it's written visual or, or otherwise uh, you know there's there's always going to be somebody that's influenced by that that's going to perpetuate that into the future and yeah. more often than not uh at least some trace uh of of that whether it's a you know copy or an uh, a impression or or something will be you know carried on you know forward but it is it is sort of a a scary idea that like you could have an entire culture you know a government just trying to uproot the things that you know they don't agree with at that point in the time even even though those are the very foundation of you know their um sort of like their their recognition at a worldwide level you know um was it was it in the book explicitly or did i read this afterwards where it talked about the the chapel in in red square that uh somebody the i'm trying to remember the uh the name of the the building now but uh they had taken down um this this church this cathedral and uh the guy who was commissioned with with doing it um went and took took down the all the dimensions basically like brick for brick yeah so that it could be rebuilt later and, and they ended up rebuilding it I'm trying to remember if that was I don't that think was that was in here. the book I then I recently read that and I don't know I, I don't know where or why but it's interesting though. yeah it's super fascinating so like yeah during during the the 1920s um 
he uh, he he was like I said commissioned with with taking this down and took down like detailed notes and uh, you know measurements and all this kind of stuff. And then I think it was in the 1950s or 60s they they rebuilt yeah. it uh, in the same place according to to his stuff. He didn't he never lived to see uh, to see it rebuilt. He didn't know. Um, but he sort of thought that, you know, maybe if I can if I can capture this, you know, I, I can sort of perpetuate it. And that's a very, very, uh, you know, tangible thing of, of what I was what I was just trying to explain with with art. So, yeah, I mean, what did what did you think about about that whole like, did you have an impression of, of his reaction toward their conversation? Because it seemed a little bit melodramatic. And it did. It, it seemed like he was trying to kind of be extra philosophical about it. But. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can understand that that sort of distress that you have whenever you, you know, again, it's a lot of this book is about, you know, two eras and kind of the overlap and the conflict, whether it's sort of the the Tsarists and the aristocrats with the Bolsheviks, whether it's, you know, uh, Rostov and Sofia or, or Rostov in general with anyone in the hotel. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, once Mishka dies, he, you know, he, re- he reflects that it's, you know, that was the last person alive that knew of him as a younger man before kind of this whole, this whole circumstance. And it's those, you know, it's as though that sort of whole idea or era has died, you know, within him. So I can understand the, I can understand that, that distress that comes with that as to trying to figure out why it is that, that uniquely, at least seemingly within recent history, that Russians were the ones that (laughs) did that to their own, to their own legacies and to their own, I guess, you know, works of art and and things of that nature. It did seem a little bit over dramatic, but at the same time, it's I, I can understand it. You know, it, I just thought of um, you know the the war in in Iraq and Syria and ISIS. You know, yeah. blowing up all these these uh, these sites of antiquity, uh, Palmyra. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that stuff to me is just it's it's gut wrenching. I mean, there 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 are things that you know we you can't get back. You know, we, we have an impression of, of, of that stuff. We have, we have photos and, uh, people have studied those, those structures, but, um, you know, to, to give up, you know, that piece of history for, you know, religious or political ideology, um, instead of just the, the normal passage of time just seems like, like a terrible, terrible thing to do. Um, but I mean, it, it happens any, anytime, you know, we we go to war anytime that there are massive, you know, political shifts. There is, you know, some level of, you know, restructuring uh, history or art or, or what have you to to fit with, you know, the the times that you're in. Yeah. Real quick aside. Yes. There's the part at the bar where he's asked to name three things that are great that have come from Russia. And he talks about, you know, Tolstoy and Dostoyevsky, the Nutcracker Suite and Caviar. Yep. Three things that America has given to uh, the world that you can think of off the top of your head, the three greatest gifts to the world from our our home, obviously, uh, America. However sarcastic you may choose to be about this is up to your discretion. I mean, I can go first if that... No. Okay. No. Um, the cotton gin. Okay. So you're going very literal, like with inventions and everything. All right, I, I'm, I'm, hang on, I'm getting, I'm getting there. Um, yeah, all mine are like inventions. Okay, like well, let's hear it. The airplane. Oh, all right, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, can't think of a good third one though. All right, what are yours? Um, jazz music. Okay. McDonald's. Ugh. Or fast food, I guess. Yeah. And, um, hmm. And the AR-15. <laughs> that is, uh. There you go. <laughs> All right. That is, those are the three best contributions to the world. Uh. Fractional reserve baking. I don't know if that's uniquely an American thing. I don't. That's, that's a bad suggestion, too. Yeah. But. So, when when you mentioned that, first of all, it reminded me of their uh, of Sophia and, and uh, Alexander's game of Zoot, um, where, you know, where they had a subject and it was like, 
you know, they had to name like, you know, three. Oh, the threes. Uh, yeah. yeah, their game of threes. And so there, there are a lot of themes in this in this book where, you know, that stuff like sort of perpetuates, right? Because you have the triumvirate. Yeah. Um, you have uh, that game. Um, you have the, the scene at the bar that you just asked about. Um, you have the like brown paper, like, uh, boxes that are th- things that are wrapped up, right? Yeah. So like Mishka's work, uh, you've got the the uh, nesting dolls that he he goes through in the I guess, finish room or yeah. whatever, and then you've got uh, Sophia's book with all the gold coins in it at the end. Um, so there are a lot of things like that, and and they do like sort of show up in triplicate. Yeah, uh, it just it just made me made me think of that. Um, did you notice another random aside? Uh, that the alliteration of the all the titles throughout, yeah, it it dawned on me like right before book five, like I think the last last part of book four, that every that they were all with A's, yeah, alliterated. Yes. Oh wow, that's I noticed it like three like three or four chapters in. I generally just don't uh, pay much mind to yeah, chapter titles, and, and and the the chapter titles. Um, didn't seem to be relevant early on, so I just I, I stopped paying attention. No, uh, why do you, did you have an idea of like maybe why he did that? Because I do, I don't have a great. Answer. I have no idea, honestly. I, I you know it might have just been like a I'm gonna make all the chapter titles start with a. Yeah, I I mean I guess it's playful in that in that way, but I yeah I could I kept going through like after I was done with the book and I was like, is there like is there a meaning for like the letter a, like, you know, like the scarlet letter kind of thing? Like what, mm. what could this possibly reference? I couldn't come up with anything. And mm. I, he might've been an adulterer though, although he was never married. So that would yeah. be difficult. It's, I don't know. I wanted to, I wanted to pick your brain and see if you had thought of anything. Cause I, nothing jumped out at me. Um, I have another, I have another big question. So the, he he makes reference at one point to being the the luckiest man in Russia because of okay. his because of his prison sentence. Do you think that that's true? I mean, in a way, it's almost as if he's kind of like insulated from a lot of what's going on in Russia because yeah. everything happens at the hotel. I mean, he gets he sees you know when the pantries are kind of cleared out and with all you know the wine selection and all these things that affect the hotel, but. He's still privileged because it seems like, you know, the Metropole is in such such close proximity to the Kremlin and to at least, you know, that's where they were there drafting the Constitution. You know, yep. it seems that it's that a lot of like heads of state or the the figureheads within the per, the presidium and, you know, everything else, they, they went there regularly. I mean, even at the end, he's like, you know, I, all these people have been here regularly and dined and he's, you know, interacted with them. So, yeah, I think that he is lucky in a sense that his his sentence... Um, yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's two sides of the coin because he had mentioned too, that had he been exiled, like away from his country, you know, he could start a new life Yeah, at least, you know, kind of carry on in that way. But he wasn't able to do that here. Um, but at the same time, he seemed very sort of insulated from all of the, all of the trouble going on outside, you know, um, when, uh, when you know Nina comes back and and is sort of you know her husband's been captured and going to be sent off into forced labor and she's going and dealing with that and there was this huge famine when they tried yep. to get these farms to be part of the collectivists and you know even with Mishka going to Siberia and like coming back and talking about you know how things are you know they're so you know it's not different but they're you know statues have been taken down and replaced yeah. with other people and just kind of the state of of Moscow post war and. Yeah, you see a lot of this and and he's he's ultimately he doesn't experience that because his, you know, his scope of his world is so small that the the problems in his life really stem from just his conflict with the bishop. Yeah. And, you know, him and and learning how to raise Sophia and you know, do all these things. It's, you know, he is fortunate in in that and that his life has been kind of, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to have to work not that he's ever, you know, he's an aristocrat. He didn't yeah. ever really have to work to provide for himself anyway. And he, he chooses to work at the Buyarski and, and to do these things because he, I guess, cares for the the old guard or the old way of doing things and how this should be done. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the the trouble that would normally affect someone else living in this time, you know, it's it's it, it vanishes and everything in his life kind of distills down to this very small and minute sort of existence. And in that sort of simplicity, I guess, of, you know, trying to be a good father for Sophia, trying to be a good employee at the Boyarski and trying to just be a general, you know, uh, well-minded and, you know, hopeful and, and, and content and happy person that, yeah, he, his circumstances are actually pretty good. I got to thinking about it and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think he's, he's right in his assessments, but then I, I got to thinking more about like, he, like being part of the quote unquote leisure class. Yeah. I mean, when he, when he talks about, you know, the way that the Duke spent his time or, you know, he, he spent his, his time, you know, at idle hour, um, he's really not doing anything differently at the hotel than he would be doing if yeah. he were sitting at his family's estate. Truly. Th- the only difference is he doesn't have as much stuff around him and he doesn't have the freedom to, you know, go to Paris. To travel. Or, yeah, or, yeah. To, to do whatever. But when you, I think when, <laughs> when you get to looking at it, like, I think he is the same character in this situation as he would have been if that poem had never been written and he was he was at home. I think he is he is absolutely no different uh as as a even, person. You don't think even with the addition of Sophia in his life that I mean I think that's the one thing cuz you know you see that dramatic shift sure. or that sort of shift in like how he approaches his life going on then and sort of that um, and, not, you know, I've got it bookmarked in in the book to read at some point, but sort of that quote at the end when he talks about just sort of his purpose, when he kind of comes to the realization of his purpose in life yeah. and, and throughout all of this. But, I mean, I think that he, I think those are things that he would have done anyway, right? Like He he's, never he's, really, yeah, he never really, like, loses sight of, like, who he is. Right. He's, that, he's he, imparting he, on her the wisdom that, that he kn- he knows about art and literature and, you know, no. all of that sort of stuff manners, mental acuity, you know, all, all of these things, uh, which, you know, had he gotten married, which he probably would have as an aristocrat, he would be doing with, you know, his, his sons or daughters. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's really no different. She ends up in a life that, you know, she could ostensibly have had if, if they were, you know, outside of this situation and and she actually was his daughter. Sure. And or even I mean, you know, Nina was, you know, Nina was born into privilege when she was in the hotel yeah. too. She was a governess's or, or she had a governess in her care and so, you know, foreseeably had circumstances uh, you know, been different at that time in Russia, then yeah, Sophia could have probably had a similar lifestyle, but yeah, I mean, I I do agree that it seems as though his his punishment, so to say, doesn't really alter kind of how he lives his life. Agreed. In the grand scheme of things. As a little minor thing, and, and I had mentioned it earlier, uh, it, in the book, throughout, you know, we're only given really the perspective of the Count. And and we have some other people that, that come in and out of, out of his life that you kind of get bits and pieces, Mishka being a big part of that as far as like what's going on in the, in the world at large. And Richard mm-hmm. later when he's talking about kind of try to coercing him into figuring out who's going to be succeeding Stalin and you yeah. know, all the members of the Presidium and things like that, that we get these little footnotes throughout the book that mm-hmm. are there to kind of like elaborate in more detail sort of external circumstances, sort of outside of the the plot of our book. It's like, hey, this is what's going on sort of in Russia at this time and this yep. to kind of elaborate on that. What were your thoughts about that? Because I, you know, in some in some ways it could be seen as kind of like it's like footnotes in fiction. It's mm-hmm. kind of like it seems like a weird sort of it might like take you out. But I think it was done. I think it was done enough to be like an assistance because obviously I didn't have a, a huge background on, you know, 30s and 40s Russia. You know, you know yeah, a little bit yeah. about post-war and about communism and maybe even if you took some history in college, you might've learned more about like the Bolshevik revolution and, right. and, and sort of all of that early on, but still not a huge subject of, of importance, I guess in my own personal time of finding out. So I, yep. I actually enjoyed a little bit of that and I didn't think it was too much of a, of a detriment from the actual narrative itself. No, I, I actually completely agree. And, um, I also think that it speaks to like the count as, as a narrator too, because yeah. you know, if I, you imagine having a conversation, if you're, you know, Richard and you know, you maybe don't have the same sort of like historical context, you could imagine the count sort of taking an aside and saying, you know, 
let me help you understand this uh, before I get back to the point that I'm trying to make. So as I was reading through, I, I read those those footnotes as sort of an aside in the yeah. conversation. And, uh, as a, and as pres- a, by yeah. the way, this is what this means. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and, and, and I didn't find it, uh, belittling and I didn't necessarily find it just factual either yeah. in, the, in the sense that it was just like, you know, an actual in footnote. Yeah. In the, exactly. Yeah. Like it was, it was like the, the chapters that were, that were like addendum chapters, yeah. you know, it was just, it was sort of a, I don't want to say whimsical, but it, you know, in character sort of, um, inclusion of information. Uh, so yeah, I like, I like the, I like the asides. Um, I have a couple more questions. We only have a few minutes. Okay. Let's, we can rapid fire some of these out. Cause I've okay. got, I've got some too, but they're really quick. Okay. My, mine are pretty quick too. Um, what do you think Sophia is going to do? I mean, with her wow. freedom. Uh, I mean, she has the means to buy her freedom over, or at least to, you know, start off on a life in America. She's supremely talented at, yeah. at piano, so I don't think she will be suffering by any means. So that, I mean, that's what I would assume, that uh, that Richard would help get her over to America and would see to it that she, you know, maybe got a visa and things of that nature. Yeah. I wondered if she was going to continue playing music or not. I mean, at the levels that she, that she was playing at, um, you know, she, she would be highly visible potentially at a world stage unless she was, you know, doing it for some small town or something. And you that know, is that, true. That would put her at risk. I wondered if if she was going to have to give that up, like you know, to to have a normal life to be free, so to speak. That is true, because I could definitely see if she, you know, she makes it to America and somehow this figure that trying to keep her identity concealed from Russia would be would be difficult with that high of a profile. So it'd be interesting. Maybe he's going to write another book for us involving Sophia. I don't know, because you said, you know, I didn't catch this. And obviously, because I never read Rules of Civility, but you said you'd read somewhere that there's a character from. Rules of Civility yeah. that ends up in this book, and I'd be interested to know which one that was. Did you know at all which one it was, or just no? I, I just read that in passing in a little yeah, blur. It, it was yeah, it was just in passing when I was going through an interview that that he had given, and uh, and that he, as I recall, the the uh, answer basically was like, yeah, there's there's a crossover of a character, and that was it. Okay, uh, so care to take a guess as to who you think it is? If you had to guess, from, I'm assuming it's one of the named characters. That we do you get. do you know what Rules of Civility is about? Because I don't, it's, I don't have any context. I think from from context clues that I've gathered from his interviews on this, uh-huh. it's you know set in the 30s in New York, and it's kind of the idea of like inventing yourself, and yeah, I think it's it's it. Uh, we have a female protagonist, and she's like 25, and just kind of like a coming of age or coming into your own or establishing yourself. Okay. I think so. I really know nothing about it other than you know whatever I try to assume from things like that. Based on that limited information and my character list, which I have so carefully written out so yeah. that I, I remembered everybody's names. My guess is that it would be Richard, and that's not my best guess. Um, I bet you that it's Anna. She seems like she would be well-traveled. Seems like if it does take place in New York, yeah. that she'd be well-placed um, to you know make an appearance over there or um, during during that time period. So that's, that's my guess. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Anna makes sense. Anna was one of the people that I was thinking of immediately when that came up. Or um, Emil, Emily. Yeah, Emil. Emil, yeah. Chef. So, I don't know. That's interesting, though. Yeah. Um, While we're speaking of characters, yes. I beat you to it. Rapid yes. fire, yeah. rapid fire question. Outside of the count, who was your favorite character of uh, the of the general assembly? Uh, I liked Nina. Um, okay. I think I think she was just she was really bizarre as a child. Yeah, and to to be like you know leading the count around on these sort of pseudo adventures and sort of being the adult of 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 those two. Um, I thought was was really fascinating, and then her turn toward you know toward buying into the the you know communist, well, just being an idealist, yeah, and, and hoping that she can yeah. make a difference in that, and then coming back and and uh, you know obviously wanting the count to be the one to take care of Sophia, I think you know was was interesting too. But yeah, I think I think Nina was was great. What what about question you? real quick about yeah. Nina that I thought did you think 
that she thought she would be back in a few months for Sophia? Or did you think that she knew that she'd be leaving her in the care of the Count permanently because she knew that he would be there? It's a great question. I... I would assume that that she would always think that that she was going to get back because yeah. if she didn't, how could she? Well, she left the photo of her and her husband there right. with him too. And but like how how could she expect to just leave her kid like you know unless she was in some peril too? And if she was in some peril, then she probably wouldn't have gone to Moscow in the first place. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously she had the, the sincere concern that she wasn't going to come back and, yeah. and didn't, but um, I, I think that she probably believed she was going to. Fair enough. Um, did you have a favorite character outside of the count? Uh, I liked Mishka and I liked okay. Osip just because Osip I, was good. I liked their, I, I just, those are some of my favorite like interactions with mm-hmm. count. So I, I thought they were both really good characters as far as like, adding to this story and adding to this person and adding kind of that not complete, but adding that little bit of kind of a counter more so to more so less about like the days, like the, the on and on, but kind of that like ideological counter to sort of the things that are going on with the count without being such just like an antagonist, like the Bishop. Yeah. Uh, what do you, what do you make of Mikhail's final work? Bread and salt, salt and bread, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Bread and salt. Well, they said it's kind of like the the Russian tradition. Whenever you're meeting with someone or you're doing says you bring bread and salt, and then right. it's sort of the whole, the whole spurning on of his exile to Siberia and his sort of outrage with the the sort of power is is the idea of censoring this for for you know demeaning I guess the quality of Russian bread. Or, yeah. Well, or not, saying, not even not even that. Well, yeah. I mean, just the implication was that yeah. German bread was better. Yeah. But just the sort of offense that would be taken to Russia as a whole, and just I don't know, like it, that. It, it just seemed like maybe it was, uh, you know, a sarcastic affront to the idea of sort of Russia's ability to, um, to sort of censor that with the fact that it's that's sort of the customary thing to do. You know yeah. that that that's their customary, not peace offering, but kind of token of, you know, of friendship or of you know manners i guess when when they're convening or convening and sort of you know sharing time together so i don't know it was interesting i i, I didn't know exactly what to make of that yeah i uh, truthfully i i don't have an answer for my own question like i i just, oh okay no, oh okay be, i see how it is i just i found it i found it uh, almost semi delusional yeah. um to to have put that much effort into something that was sort of like an inside like an inside job. Yeah, well, that's an angle of it, too, is that, you know, it's because he's gone for eight years and it's remarked upon that it's not just sort of the the wear of age that has taken its toll on him, mm-hmm. that it's, you know, the punishment and, and sort of things by his fellow man. And so, yeah, I don't know, there could be that there could be that element of like obsessiveness with it where it's like, you know, he spent the last eight years of his life sort of toiling away for this idea and so, you know, I'm going to write a book about it or I'm going to have this book of collected works or or quotes or ideas about it. Yeah. All right. My last question. Yep. Would you make the ending happy? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. We're given this, you know, it's we're led to believe, oh, it's this troubling time and all these bad things are happening to everybody. And it's constantly just the strife. And at the end, we get a happy ending, seemingly. I mean, yeah. Sophia gets away. She has the gold. She has the means to get to America and kind of be free and, and live her life. And she seemingly set up well in education and in sort of opportunity. And then we get the count who, you know, essentially gets away. Um, he's led them, you know, the KGB on a, on a wild goose, goose chase, yeah, wild goose chase um, to the, to Finland. And he goes back home to seemingly spend time with Anna and their, in their older years. So yeah, we get a happy ending and it, it doesn't feel forced. Yeah. It doesn't feel bad. It feels completely within the confines of like everything that's been built up in the story. And I was certainly, happy for you know you know you grow throughout the story to you care for the count as a character and by you know by proxy you know you care about anna you care about all the people that work at the boyarski and at the hotel in general you care about sophia yeah and to seemingly see that like even the people you know even the people within the hotel they don't their lives don't fundamentally change but in leaving them gold he's at least kind of like given them you know an opportunity to maybe you know in the event that they can get out of russia that they can kind of yeah. try to to get off on a better start somewhere. So yeah, overall we get a very happy ending for 
the people that we try to, uh, or, or at least the people that we're rooting for. And I don't know, in, in one sense, it's kind of like, ah, uh, you know, it, it feels like everything's tied up really neatly and nicely, which I don't necessarily like in narratives because most of the time yeah. it requires a lot of, uh, a lot of like, you know, disbelief, you know, yeah. suspension yep. of disbelief and you kind of like have some plot holes that you maybe have to overlook. But I thought it was pretty thorough in, in how everything sort of winded down to the, the place that we got. I thought it was actually pretty thorough. And, and by that token, I wasn't disappointed at all. You know, I was, I was pretty content with how the book ended. I was, I was happy with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I had a similar reaction. Normally I, I don't like the, the sort of cleanness of, of everything, but I appreciated the Count's cleverness and sending people, you know, in the wrong direction. And, you know, the fact that he himself didn't didn't head straight to Paris, you know, uh, and maybe never does, um, you know, to not endanger Sophia and, you know, how selfless that uh, that is that, you know, he and he and Anna can kind of make their their own their own way. Um I'm out of questions. You yeah. got any more questions? I have no more questions, but I'd be remiss if I didn't read this quote from the book because this is essentially kind of the... It's not so much a coming... Well, it, it's it's of finding one's purpose, right? That's yeah. sort of the arc that we have for the Count. And this is at the end when he realizes that he's found his purpose and he set all this thing kind of in motion for Sophia and, you know, it's having his last night there before she leaves for Paris and it's... Looking back, it seems to me there are people who play an essential role at every turn. And I don't just mean the Napoleons who influenced the course of history. I mean, men and women who routinely appear at critical junctures in the progress of art or commerce or evolution of ideas, as if life itself has summoned them once again to help fulfill its purpose. Well, since the day I was born, Sophia, there was only one time when life needed me to be in a particular place at a particular time, and that was when your mother brought you to the lobby of the Metropole, and I would not accept the sarship of all of Russia's in exchange for being in the hotel at that hour. Yeah, I mean that that really does sort of sum it all up and and I think it's a nice return to the beginning of the book where he's on trial and yeah. you know the the judge or whatever uh asks him, you know, what his what his purpose is and he says, you know, I believe a man's purpose is only known unto God. Yeah. And you know then then the book where we get that he he realizes or at least he seems to have realized that this was his purpose in life and you know, he's almost to the completion of carrying it out. Yep. All right. We need to get to ratings. Let's get to ratings. You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Uh, you go first. I'll go I, first. I'm curious. I'm keeping it. Obviously, I'm putting it on top shelf. This oh. was this was a great book. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I Probably a universal recommendation to anybody who's willing to read through a 460-page book. Doesn't feel like that at all, though. Yeah. It, it goes by pretty quick. Um I, you know, I think the Count's probably my favorite character to date that we've read as far as just how much I've been invested in them within yep. the story. So by that token, by how much I enjoyed it, by the fact that I would give it a universal recommendation, I think it's safe to say I think this is my favorite book we've done so far. And I feel like it feels kind of like a couple because I feel like yeah. there was a while there where it's like every other episode, it's like, oh, this is my favorite book. This is my favorite book. So I'm trying to be a little bit more stringent because obviously I can't go back and I mean, I can, but I'm not going to go back and reread Sense of an Ending before I report on this book or go back and reread, right, right. you know, uh, Banks and, 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 and think about, oh, well, compare this to compare this. So a lot of times when I say this is my favorite book so far, it's 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 fresh in my mind and it just means I mean, it's, you know, really high praise. But I, I, honestly, this is one of the best that we've done on the show, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the character, and I would be absolutely open to reading more by Tal's in the yeah, future. I ditto to to everything. I mean, I, I sort of had had a similar thought process where you know there there are things that I've appreciated about some books, you know, more than others. I really appreciated even still how much Hessa made me made me think, um, you know, about just just age and. And uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but this book, I think, was just so well crafted and so enjoyable at the same time. And sometimes you, you just you, those those tend to be conflicting things, right? Like uh, artistry and, and enjoyment um, don't always go hand in hand when it comes to, to reading literature. And I do think this is this is literary in a lot of ways. A lot of times, you know, New York Times bestseller, like I start to get a little bit like skeptical, you know, because you see some typically those know, books have to cast like a wide net. Yeah, they, exactly. They, they leave a little to be desired. But I can understand how this book has, you know, universal appeal um, and can still be, you know, artistic and, and literary. And 
yeah, I mean, I, 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 th- I think that it's, it's probably up there with, with my, you know, top one or two books that we've, we've read for sure. Um, well, it's good. We end 2018 on a really good note on a yeah, high note, seemingly for sure. Telling us into 2019, which is a good transition to our next book. Yeah. Which was my pick. It is your pick. You know, you're looking at me like I was going to say, See, it. here's the thing. It's been a while, <laughs> you know, it's been a while since I've had to think about a book to read because we kind of set our, our, our winter block of books out well in advance. And really this was the only one that, that had been undecided. You know, yeah. we had kind of everything laid out. So, I mean, I picked a Christmas Carol, you know, months ago. Yep. Yep. And as we're, you know, reading books and books and books and we're getting closer, we're getting closer. I don't have anything that pops up in my mind. It's not my time to think about it yet. And then we're reading this book and it's like, oh man, next suggestion is mine. Um, <laughs> and I know very early on in, in sort of the, the early days of this podcast, our thought was to try to, to try to have a tie between each of our books or, yeah. you know, as small of lining as it is, but that's like super restrictive. I mean, then we're just True. kind of like, you know, or we're getting to really loosey goosey ties or anything, but there is a direct tie between this and the next book that I wanted to read because as I was reading or after I was done reading this book and kind of like looking into the background, uh-huh. uh, I found a little novel called, uh, a heart of a dog okay. by Mikhail Bulgakov which was written uh, in early 20s in uh, the Soviet Union. It wasn't published because it's, you know, heavily critical or it's it's a it's it's heavy satire towards sort of the the communist uh, regime. Finally wasn't published until uh, 1987, but essentially the gist of it is is the Soviet scientists take the pituitary gland and testes of a of this criminal vagrant and they give them to a dog to kind of create this dog-man hybrid and he becomes this just insanely like lascivious and just degenerate character who somehow works his way up to the ranks within sort of the political sphere to be in charge of Moscow's campaign to uh, eliminate cats from the city, which is interesting. So yeah, wow. A short read. It should be fun. We're gonna. We haven't done any political satire yet. No, we haven't. So that's gonna be fun. And I think that if there's any point in time that we're ever gonna read that book, probably following something like this would be good because we're already kind of in that in that setting to some extent. Yeah, so. I think that's a good point. It it's it doesn't. Uh, it's a little it jarring if we were to jump from something else. So. Yeah. Okay. Right. I'm I'm interested. I have never heard of this, so I I I'm, hadn't either until I was I was kind of like I said I was in that sphere of looking at these things and and I saw it it was under some loose connection of like related works and I was like oh interesting okay. I'm gonna go look at this so well uh and then of a dog I'm I'm gonna wait probably another another couple weeks to make my p- p- selection one yeah. thing that, that Jacob and I had talked about um doing is not planning things out so far in advance because there have been a few times where we've called an audible on on books or uh you know we wanted to switch something out because sure. milkman we, being a recent example yeah that's 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 a yeah it's a great example so i think we're gonna we're gonna try to give you guys you know a, probably a single book at a time we might have something you know like if we want to do the uh um you know an award winner for a certain year we might kind of place hold a uh a, yeah. uh, an episode so you know but we're we're not going to give you kind of this this big roadmap um like we've we've been doing. So that'll be one of the changes for for 2019. Uh other than that, still just going to be the same old same old shticks. So Yeah, absolutely. We may have we may I don't you know as as time goes on, things are going to kind of evolve and you know, we'll we'll figure out what we like and what we don't like and and maybe uh try some new creative things outside of just the podcast in general, but yep. I don't know, it's been a good year. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. You know, this started as Kind of a pseudo New Year's resolution, um, not explicitly, but we were talking about it last year around this time of the year that, yep. you know, just the idea of doing something like this. And so I do appreciate, you know, everyone that's whether you found this just randomly, whether you're a friend or, you know, family or just someone that we know. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, real quick before we go, Ryan, yes. got any any new resolutions for this year? Because this is our this is our New Year's Eve episode. Um. Man, you know, I hadn't really, hadn't really thought too much about it. Like, obviously, I want to keep keep up our our pace of reading. Uh, I ate and like ate really healthy and worked out uh, a lot during 2018. I lost like 50 some odd pounds, and yeah, I want to lose a little bit more. So that I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make that definitely one of my New Year's resolutions. Uh, yeah, I. I can't think of anything like exciting that yeah. I'm, I'm planning on doing. Do you have anything that you're within? You know, do? I'm I'm a it's a cop out. So within the same like sphere of I guess sort of creative outlet. Recently, well, not recently, but previously earlier this year, I tried to get into. I've always like liked painting. Yeah, um, I've never been particularly good at it. 
Uh, but you know, it is what it is. There, like anything, it takes time. So yeah. I had gotten into painting or doing watercolorings pretty regularly, and then just sort of stopped because I didn't really have any sort of vision or goal with where that it was going to go. So yeah. this next year, I'm setting out for myself to to paint uh, something, a work in watercolor or oil every week for the entire year. I feel like that's awesome. I feel like one a week is 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 pretty nice. So we'll see we'll see where that comes to. Uh, uh, at the end of next year, but that's really, I'm not big on resolutions. I'm big yeah. on, uh, you know, or at least on kind of the, I'm going to, I'm going to give this up this year. I'm going to lose this amount of weight. I'm going to travel. I'm going to learn a language. You know, there's a lot of pragmatic things that you can make resolutions about. And if that's your, if that's your, uh, if that's your cup of tea, then more power to you. And I hope that you have the willpower and, and desire and fortitude to follow through with it and, and to better yourself and to, to go on with that. So for yeah. sure. Well, uh, thank you again for, for being a part of this, uh, this year. And, you know, we look forward to, to doing this again with you next year and hopefully for many more years to come. Next episode is going to be over the heart of a dog by Mikhail Bulgakov. And until next time. <laughs>